All right. All right, all right. Grab your Bibles, grab your Bibles, remain standing. We're going to read just a couple verses. Um, Hebrews chapter number eight. Hebrews chapter num- number eight. That clicked off for a second there, scared me. I didn't know what that was. All right, Hebrews eight. We finished up chapter seven uh, last week, and we learned about the order of Melchizedek, that he is an eternal priesthood that our Lord has the ability to save to the uttermost, meaning to the very end, right? And so tonight we're going to be dealing with chapter 8, which discusses the superior covenant, the superior covenant. Uh, And then then, let's just get started and I'll let you sit down. All right, here we go. Verse number 1. Matter of fact, just sit down. I don't want to rush through this reading. And I know you're tired and you want to sit down. I get it because I always hated when a preacher made me stand forever. And, you know, anyway, I get it. I get it. Uh, Acts 8, or excuse me, Hebrews 8, 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, in other words, everything we've talked about so far in the book of Hebrews, he said, this is the sum or this is the point. This is what we're trying to get you to understand that we have such an high priest. Now, now remember, now remember everybody, the people he is talking to are, are Jewish believers, new Jewish believers who are being persecuted, who are going through great difficulty, who are being tempted to go back to the temple, right? The temple is still standing. This is probably five to six years, maybe before the temple is destroyed by Titus and the Romans. And so they are being tempted to go back to the old way of doing things, the old way of worship, go back to the temple, go back to the sacrifices, go back to those priests that they've, they've known for 1500 years, right? So this is a difficult thing that they're struggling with, but he is helping them understand, listen, you're not losing a priest. You're just getting a better one. You're not losing ministry. You're getting a better one. And so throughout the whole book of Hebrews, he's been telling them how what they have now is better than what they had then. And, and, and the whole point, the sum of it all is you have a superior high priest in Jesus. Are y'all with me? Say amen. And in chapter number eight, he's going to talk about the, the superior priest covenant. There's a new covenant now. All right. Then chapter nine is going to be the superior sanctuary. We're going to talk about uh, the tabernacle that's in heaven, the sanctuary that's in heaven. And then chapter 10 is the, the superior sacrifice and why it is better. So, so basically... Chapters 7, 8, 9, and 10 primarily deal with the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It is the meat. It is the meat. It is that part that he was a little nervous about talking to them about because they were a little immature and didn't feel like that they would be ready to hear the in-depth teaching of the meat of the word, which is his high priestly ministry. Are y'all with me? Most people, most people are familiar, most people are familiar with his earthly ministry. 
Most people are familiar with what he did, uh, the, the, the people he healed and, and the sermons he preached and, 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 and the people he fed and the lives that he changed. All of those things that, that he died, uh, that he rose again, that's, that's what most people know. But guess what? He said, that's milk. That's milk. That's the elementary things. And that, you need to know that. And you need to learn those things, but you need to graduate and move on past that and learn about what he's doing for you right now. And that's his ministry in heaven. Are y'all with me? Say amen. amen. And so, so that's what we're going to cover. We're going to primarily cover today uh, about the new covenant, about the new covenant. So as we keep reading, <clears throat> now the things which we have spoken, this is the son. Let me back up. Hang on. I got something else to say. This morning I woke up. This morning I woke up, and and thinking about thinking about this this book and 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 what we're going to try to cover tonight, and and for some reason for some reason God just really impressed upon my mind and my heart this this saying, and I didn't I didn't really get it as much this morning because I was a little groggy eyed, and I, I'm not no morning person, but I, I, he 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 said Jesus was not a backup plan. Jesus, and, and, and I need to say that now because I'm going to talk about it in a minute, but I need you to understand. And you say, why are you even emphasizing that? Because we're going to talk about the new covenant. Well, if there's a new covenant, there, there, that meant there was an old covenant. And the old covenant didn't work. So does that mean that uh, God says, well, that didn't work. Uh, let's try this. No, absolutely not. All right. Uh, uh, Jesus, it's always been about Jesus. From the very beginning, it's always been about Jesus. Jesus was not a backup plan. Jesus was the plan. Those Old Testament sacrifices were to point to Jesus. And you see, they were struggling. They were struggling letting go of what was never to be permanent anyway Jesus, it's always been about him. And, and, and it'll make more sense here in just a little bit. But just know this. It's, this whole Bible is about Jesus from beginning to the end. All right? <clears throat> we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore, it is of necessity that this man has somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and the shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern, excuse me, showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon what? For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, 
when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of... Now, now watch how many I wills. Watch how many I wills you see. For this is the covenant that... Make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts and be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest for be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more. In that he saith, that last one tricked you, didn't it? <laughs> a new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which is decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for just encouraging us and helping us understand how truly saved we are. And what a great privilege it is to have you as our high priest ministering on our behalf in the heavens for us. Lord, please guide every word, everything said as we take notes and as we go through this chapter. Lord, I, I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, magnify Jesus tonight. I pray every person here will be exhorted and, and Lord, will have a, have a desire to exalt Jesus in their minds and in their thoughts and uh, in their lives. God, I pray that your perfect will be done. Don't let me say anything I'm not supposed to and don't let me forget anything I need to. And God, we'll all be careful to give you all the glory, all the honor and all the praise. Forgive us of anything, any attitude, any word, any action Lord, that would hinder your Holy Spirit from having free reign. Forgive us. Wash us white as snow. Lord, purify the hearts and minds of your people tonight as we go into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Uh, as I said, as I said, uh, the, main, the main thrust of chapter 8 is the new covenant. covenant. All right? The new covenant. Uh, this new covenant was spoken of by the Lord Jesus. If y'all remember on the, uh, the, the night of his arrest, he had a meal with his disciples and it's, it's known and it's called the Lord's Supper or the, the last communion, the Lord's communion. And, and let's look what he says. Luke twenty two twenty. Luke twenty two twenty says, likewise, also the cup after supper saying, this cup is the. New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. There is a New Testament. The word testament means covenant. This is a new covenant, a New Testament I'm making with you. Uh, Paul applies it to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, for I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Uh, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. 
This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. A testament is a covenant or a contract. contract. Uh, there are two parties in the deal, right? Uh, usually with a covenant, there's two parties that are making agreements. If you do this and I'm going to do that, and, and, and here is the covenant. Uh, the old covenant we find uh, in the Old Testament, we find it in Deuteronomy. We find it uh, uh, also in Leviticus. We see that that Moses brought the children of Israel out of out of Egypt, out of bondage, and they they make it to Mount Sinai, where God comes down and meets with them. How many of y'all remember that at Mount Sinai? The, it was covered with the cloud and covered with the the, the lightning and the thunder and the, all of this that just scared the daylights out of people. And, and God came and gave them his law. God gave him his commandments, everything he expected out of them. And then he made a covenant with them. He made a covenant with them. He said, if you will do what I said, if you will do what I said, if you will follow my law, if you will uh, obey my commandments, then I will. And man, he starts laying them out. All these blessings, blessing, 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 blessing. You can go read it. You can go read it. It's in, I think I, I, I put it in there somewhere. Let's see. Uh, Deuteronomy 28. You can go read all those blessings. Uh, just blessing, 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 blessing. Then you get to verse 15. You get to verse 15. And, but if you don't, are y'all with me? First of all, if you will. Then I will. But then if you, then this is what you're going to get. Curse, 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 curse. I'm talking about, I'm talking about, now keep in mind, keep in mind, there's like 60 something verses in this chapter. And, and from verse number 16, all the way to the end is curse after curse, after curse, after curse, after curse. Are y'all with me? So basically, this is what I want you to keep in mind as we go through this. The old covenant was if you will, then I will. If you will do this, then I will do that. Okay? That's what it was based on. Are you with me? Say amen. And that's what, that's what most covenants are. You know, it's the, this party's going to agree to do this, and this party's going to agree to that. And by the way, by the way, uh, the people of Israel, all of them said, you got it. We will do it. We will obey everything that you said. Guess what? They didn't. They didn't. So, so here we go. Here we go. Look at your notes. First of all, why, why is this new covenant superior? Why is this new covenant better? Well, first of all, let's look at the priest of this new covenant. The priest of this new covenant, this, the, this mediator this new priest that we have in Jesus. First of all, I want you to see the purity of his ministry. The purity of his ministry. All right, look back. Look what it says in verse number one. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. In the next sentence is this. We have such an high priest. We have such an high priest. Now back up to chapter number seven, back up to chapter number seven, and let's read in verse number 26, because this is what it's referring to, all right? Verse 26 says, for such an high priest became us. 
Now, what that means, what the word became means is fitted to. Fitted to. In other words, it fit us. He came and became who we are to fit exactly what we need. In other words, if you go, you go to a shoe store, you go to a shoe store, you, if you wear a size 10 and you got a size 15, it don't, all right, you get a size 8, it don't, but you get your, just the right size, it, it fits. Jesus, as our high priest, he came and he fit the need for what we have. Perfectly fits what we need. You say, well, how does he fit? Because he came and he suffered and he experienced our pain. He experienced our difficulty. He experienced our sorrow. He experienced everything that we have. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are. Man, he fits what we need. When we're broken, he's been broken. When we're sad, he's been sad. When we're hurting, he's been hurting. Listen, when we're disappointed, he's been disappointed. Listen, when, when we have been betrayed, he has been betrayed. He fits exactly what we need. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Look what it says. He, he for such a high priest became us, who is, who is holy and harmless. Okay, okay, okay. Now y'all know. When I stop, that means y'all speak up, all right? This is in verse 26 of chapter 7. We do this every single week. Are y'all with me? Amen. All right, let's try this. Here we go. Verse 26. For such a high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made now watch this. Now watch this. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28 of chapter 7. For the law maketh men high priests which have infirmities. In other words, in other words, this is what, this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying to these people who are struggling wanting to go back. Do you understand that the priest you have now is perfect? He is harmless. He is undefiled. He is separated. He fits our need perfectly. But these ones you're wanting to go back to, they have infirmities. They have issues. That's why they abuse you. That's why they treat you wrong. That's why they don't always do the right thing. What you have now is better than... Are y'all with me? Amen. So we see his purity. We have a, we have a, we, we don't have a, a priest with infirmities. We don't have a priest like us. We don't have a priest that, you see, in that day, the priest had to go in first on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur. He had to go in first with a sacrifice for his own sins and then come back out and get the blood sacrifice for our sins. But guess what? Jesus knew no sin. He didn't have to go in twice. He went in. Are y'all with me? Oh, yeah. We see, we, see his, we see his purity, the purity of this priest's ministry. 
the fact that Jesus Christ is morally perfect and yet identified with us in our needs and temptations makes him superior to any other priest, pastor, president. Say amen. amen. Then number, well, letter B, we see the purity of his ministry, then write this down, the place of his ministry. The place of his ministry. The Bible says that he is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. He is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Preacher, what are you saying? The right hand is the hand of honor and of power. If you sit on the right hand of, of royalty, that is the honored position. That is the, that is the position of power, but that's not all. That's not all. Do you realize that the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin is basically uh, the, the Jewish Supreme Court. It would be like our Supreme Court. The Sanhedrin, when they would, when they would convene and they would come to the, the seat of judgment, when they, when they would be in session, then the presiding judge would have two secretaries, two scribes, if you will, one on the left hand and one on the right hand. The one on the left hand wrote all of the condemnations, but the one on the right hand wrote all the acquittals. Let me say it again. The one on the left hand wrote all the condemnations, all of the guilty verdicts. The one on the right hand wrote all the acquittals, all of those set free, all of those delivered, all of those. Are y'all with me? Preacher, what are you saying? That right hand is a right hand of mercy. It's a right hand of deliverance. It's a right hand of forgiveness. The Bible says in John chapter 3, he did not come to condemn but to save. Amen. He, God, sent his not, his, God sent not his son into this world to condemn, condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. saved. The place of this priest the place of this priest. Then you're going to like this one. This is even better. The permanence, the permanence of his ministry. Not only the place of his ministry, the purity of his ministry, but look at the permanence of his ministry. The Bible says in verse one, we have such an high priest who is set, set, meaning he's seated. He sat down. Now, now, to really get the significance of that, if you, go to the, if you go to the Old Testament, if we could take a time machine and go into the Old Testament, take us a field trip and uh, go through the, the, the courtyard of the tabernacle and, and then go through the, the, the holy place where the, where the priests ministered, you will not find a seat nowhere. You will not find a seat nowhere. Why? Because their work is never done. Their work is never done. Their sacrifices were never permanent. They only covered till the next sin and the next uh, uh, disobedient act and then the next year. The altar in the, in the tabernacle 
that altar where they would put the sacrifice on that altar, it cried for sacrifice every year because of the sins of the people, because the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. So every year that altar would cry out, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. It was not permanent. They never finished their job. They could never sit down. They were constantly making sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But when Jesus went to the cross, when he went to the cross, the Bible said he he died, rose again, came back to this earth and walked on this earth 40 days. And then he went back to heaven and sat down. Now, now why could he sit down? Because on the cross, on the cross, he said, it is finished. <laughs> you know, I started thinking about this. And I think this is what really got me thinking about the, this ain't no backup plan. If it is, if something is finished, if something is finished, that means on the other end of that thing, something got, say it again, started. You can't finish something unless you, hello, where'd it get started? Did it get started at Sinai where God issued all the different sacrifices? No, because there were sacrifices before Sinai. They say, I wonder how far we need to go. I think we need to go back to the garden. It is finished. The last innocent being had to die for the sins of the guilty. When did that start? When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. The Bible says God made coats of skin for them. The very first sacrifice ever made was in the garden. And death began. And the bloodletting began, but on the cross, he said, it is no more. Now watch this. Now watch this. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I want to get there so bad. In the garden, when man sinned, we don't have time to go to it, but you go, you go read it. When man sinned, God comes in the garden, Adam, Eve, and they're hiding. And then he says, you know, why y'all hiding? Well, we, 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 we was kind of naked. Well, who told you that? So, well, they had to fess up. And immediately, 
immediately. Before he made the coats of skin, he looked at the devil and that serpent and said, son, we got a problem. I'm going to put enmity between thy seed and the seed of the woman. And you're going to bruise him, but he's going to bust your head. What, what happened? What do we see right there? We see Jesus. You see what I mean? It's always been about the, the, the plan has always been Jesus. He's not a backup plan because the first covenant didn't work. God said it was going to be Jesus from the very beginning. Do y'all see this? Anyway, it'll make sense in a minute. <clears throat> it's a finished work. No more, no more sacrifices. Hebrews 1.3, we see it in Hebrews 1.3, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, the upholding of all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, what did he do? Sat down. Sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 10, 11, and every priest standeth daily, daily ministering and offering oftentimes. That means a bunch, the same sacrifices which can what? But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? Sat down on the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. His work is finished. It's done. It's done. No more. No more sacrifices are necessary. By the way, Every year, every year, those, those priests would bring that offering. And every year, it would cry out, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. But when Jesus died on the cross, it cried out, satisfied, satisfied, satisfied. It was done. It was done. Okay, that's the priest of this new covenant. Number two, I want you to see the place the place of this new covenant. He's got to get real logical with these Jewish believers because, I mean, here's the thing. You can't see up into heaven. You got to kind of use your imagination, right? Oh, come on, guys. I don't want to hear no visions of you being in heaven. Right? We have to imagine it. But they could look over there and still see the temple. Okay, it was still in living color. They could reach over there and touch it. So it was, it was here. And so the struggle was, all right, here's the temple, and, and, and you're saying, you're, you're, you're saying that, that, that Jesus is a high priest. Well, if he's a high priest, he's got to have a sanctuary. Are y'all with me? Now watch. This is important. Look in the next verse. Verse 2. Verse 2. This high priest, this high priest, Jesus, is a minister of the 
sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example, here's the key, serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. Now, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. All right. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 13, <clears throat> it says, take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest. In other words, the Jewish people, God's people, the Israelites, if they lived in Galilee and they said, you know what, I really don't feel like going all the way to Jerusalem. Why don't we just have us a, a, our own little service out here on the edge of the Sea of Galilee because this is really more spiritual anyway, and we'll just sacrifice here. God said, uh-uh. They could not do that. They could not do that. God says, God says no, no, no. Don't be burning offerings anywhere you want to. He says in verse 14, but in the place. Look, in the place which the Lord shall choose. In one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I commanded thee. Now, there's two things I want you to get here in your head. First of all, had to be the right place and it had to be the right person. And the person had to be a priest. Okay. Now when it says you bring your offering, you didn't literally present your offering to God. You brought it to the priest and then the priest offered it to God. That's very important. That's very important. When we get to the ministry of Jesus in just a minute, listen, they, they could not go before God. This priest was their mediator, their go-between. I could come to the priest, but I couldn't come to God. So I would bring my sacrifice and my offering and give it to the priest, and then I would, I would give it to the priest. The priest would turn around and give it to God. Are you all with me right there? Amen. So it was very important that it had to be at the tabernacle, during the wilderness wandering, and then when they, they got established in Jerusalem, they built the temple, it had to be in the temple. So the sacrifices had to be made by a priest, and it had to be made at the, at the temple, at the sanctuary. Are y'all with me? Amen. So here's what, the, here's what these guys are questioning the writer. Well, if he's a priest, then he has to have a He's got to have a sanctuary. If he's going to offer a sacrifice or if he's going to offer these praises and things to God, he's got to have a sanctuary. And the writer says, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you about, let me tell you about his sanctuary. Let me tell you where he is serving. Let me tell you where he is ministering. Look what it says. He is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle. 
which the Lord pitched and not. So where is this sanctuary at? It's in heaven. It's in heaven. Now watch this. This is, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Verse 5. Go to verse 5. How many of y'all have seen models? If I was a good teacher, I'd have had a picture of it for you. I'd forgot all about it. But how many of y'all have seen pictures of the, the, the tabernacle or the, or the temple in, in Jerusalem? And if y'all was good tech guys, y'all would find one for me and put it up there. Uh, just hinting around. See if y'all can find a, 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 a picture of the, of the temple, uh, the Herodian temple, the Sol- not Solomon's temple, but anyway, I don't any temple. Just put, as long as it's the one in Jerusalem. Kind of think, wait a minute, there's Hindu temples, dude. We don't need that. All right? Now, but y'all know what I'm talking about. The earthly, the earthly temple, right? The earthly tabernacle. Watch what he says. Watch what he says about that in verse number five. That earthly one, now what how did how did they how did how did that come to be? Well, when 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 Moses went to Mount Sinai, when Moses went to Mount Sinai, he said, I am taking the Israelites to be mine. You're going to be my people. I'm going to separate you. I'm going to, I'm going to consecrate you. You're going to be a holy nation unto me, and this is what you're going to have to do. This is how you're going to approach me. I'm, going to, I'm, I'm making a way for a holy God to dwell with unholy people. Are you all with me? So at at Mount Sinai, he gave Moses all of the dimensions, all of the sizes, all of the designs, everything to a T, how he wanted it made and built and done. Yeah. Moses didn't just sit down one day and say, let's see what this we can make up here. Uh-uh. God gave him, every, and not only, this is, this is crazy, not only did God give him every detail of how to make it and what it's supposed to look like, he even gave special skills to different groups of people to build the thing. Amazing. Because God wanted it a specific way. Let me ask you a question. This is just going to throw this in here. Do you, care, you think God cares how we come before him? Do you think we can just worship any old way that we choose that feels good to us? There we go. Now watch, watch, watch what verse 5 says about this. This is a cool model that's in Jerusalem. Uh, uh, when you go to Israel with me, if we ever get a chance to go again, uh, uh, we can walk right in front of that and, and see that. It is amazing. This layout is amazing. But this would be looking from the Mount of Olives across the Kidron Valley, across the, the, the eastern gate there, the eastern wall, looking into the temple. That main part would be the holy place, and then a veil, and then the holy of holies. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now watch this. Watch what verse 5 says about that. All right? Look what it says. Verse 5. This right here. Whoa. Ho, ho. Back to my picture. Quickly. All right. Now watch. This right here, this right here, this 
tabernacle, this temple. Now, when you say, what, why do you call it tabernacle and temple? Tabernacle was, was when it was traveling. That's when it was mobile. They call it the tabernacle or tent, okay? When it became permanent is when they started calling it a temple. Are y'all with me? But watch what it says about this. Look in verse, look in verse five. This tabernacle, this temple serves as an example or a shadow. And the word example there means model or pattern. A shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the Now, what does that mean? That means that the earthly tabernacle is just a model of the In other are, are y'all are y'all getting in? The earthly temple, the earthly tabernacle is just a copy or a pattern, a model of the heavenly sanctuary. And what he is saying here is the priest that you want to go back to, they only serve in a little earthly, measly model of the real thing. But the priest that you have now is ministering in the real thing. The true tabernacle, the the original. Let, let me let me put it this way. Maybe maybe this. Let's say let's say somebody has a friend. <clears throat> let's say somebody has a friend. This friend's been gone, right? Been out of the country, whatever. But they have this picture, right? They have this picture. This picture is a representation of the person, right? It's a model, it's an it's a, it's a, it's a image, it's an image. And boy, this person sure misses this person. And man, they look at that picture every day and they just adore that picture every day and they memorize that picture every day and they spend so much time focusing on that picture and they are just consumed with that picture and then their friend shows up. And they're so consumed with the picture that they don't even recognize the friend. And what he is saying, he's saying, guys, you have got the real thing here and you're trying to hold on to the pattern. Does that make sense? Listen, listen, we see the location revealed. It's in the heavens. Come on. It's in the it's like right beside the word there, guys, right beside it. Did y'all see it? Is it in your notes? I'm just making sure because I still have it here. All right. The location of this sanctuary is in the... So we see the location revealed. But then I want you to look at the limitation revealed. Why is it important, why is it important that this sanctuary is in heaven and not on earth? Well, he tells us. He tells us in verse 3 and 4. 
For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. Now, what does it mean according to the law? According to the law, he had to be of the tribe of, anybody remember? Levi. He had to be of the tribe of Levi. And Jesus was not of the tribe of Levi. He was of the tribe of Judah. And because he was of the tribe of Judah, he would not be able to serve in the priesthood because he was not a priest on earth. Now think about that. Think about that, that Jesus was limited, that he never went any further in the temple in the courtyard or in the, in, he, in other words, Jesus never went into the holy place or never went into the holy of holies. He, he was limited to what every other Jew was limited to. So because the temporary sanctuary is on earth, it's limited. It's of the order of Aaron. It's of the order of Levi. But Jesus is a king priest of the order of Melchizedek, which is an eternal order in the heavens. Are y'all with me? Say amen. In the heavens. All right, let's hurry. We see the limitation revealed. On earth, he couldn't be a priest. In heaven, he's an eternal priest. Then we see the lesson revealed. Here's the lesson. I kind of gave some of it to you already because I couldn't wait. (laughs) But it says in Hebrews, in in verse 5, that these things that you see, all of these things, they're just a shadow. They are not the substance. A substance will throw a shadow, but the shadow has no substance. The Old Testament practices, the Old Testament feasts, the Old Testament that the Jews over, overseas right now are still trying to do. Matter of fact, they are working so hard to try to build another temple. They have the, the Temple Mount Faithful. They have a cornerstone already. They've got the menorah port. They've got stuff. It would blow your mind. And they are trying so hard to restore that picture. What What is... What is just a pattern? What is just a, a shadow of what was to come? Every sac- Let me tell you something. Watch this. Boy, I got a God bump right there on my neck. Mm. When he said, after the sin, I'm going to put enmity, and he brings up the very first messianic prophecy about Jesus crushing the devil. Immediately after that, He gave a type, an example in the death of that lamb. I'm talking about immediately. Right after that, he says he covered, he made coats of skin to cover them. And from that point on, everything was a type and a shadow and a pattern of what was coming and what was coming. It was the Messiah. It was his darling son. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus was not a backup plan. He was the plan the whole time. Amen. Now watch, watch. It's a pattern. The Bible says 
The Bible says in, in Hebrews 9.24, for Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, made with, in other words, it's not the, it's not the, the earthly temple, which are the figures, the patterns, the example, the, the model of the what? True. But into heaven itself now to appear in the, he's not in, he's not in the model. He's not in the copy. He's in the real thing. Are y'all with me? He's superior. Okay. Yeah. Woo. I'm, I'm with you right there. I'm feeling it too. Look here, in the book of Revelation, I really want to go into detail with this, but maybe, maybe we'll do a part two next week. In the book of Revelation, <clears throat> where the heavenly scene is described, we can find parallels to the Old Testament tabernacle. John states that there is a temple of God in heaven, Revelation 11. Of course, there will be no temple in the eternal state because the entire city of God will be a temple. For example, there is a brazing altar in Revelation 6 as well as an altar of incense in Revelation 8. The sea of glass, Revelation 4, reminds us of the laver, the, the laver where they washed and they washed their feet. The seven lamps of fire suggest the seven branch lampstands in the tabernacle. Since Jesus Christ is ministering in the original sanctuary and not the, he is ministering in a better place. Are y'all with me? Say amen. The place, the place. Now look, look, look quick. We've got, we've got plenty of time. We'll make it. We'll make it. I got in trouble. Y'all got me in trouble last week because y'all didn't listen fast enough. We went overtime and that was brought up in the staff meeting. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it was bad. All right. Number three, number three, we see the promises. This is the best part. We see the promises. We see a better place, a better priest. And we sure have better promises. Now, why do we need better promises? Why do we need better promises? Well, we find that in verse 6. Actually, verse 6 through 8. But now hath he... Now, now let, me, let, me, let, me, let me remember. Let me remember. Let me remind you of the old promises. Okay? Let me remind you of the old promises. If you will... Then I will bless, 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 bless. But if not, then I will curse, 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 curse. 65 verses worth. Well, actually, well, you got to take out 15, that's 55, 50 verses worth. Right? That was the old promise. I promise if you do what I say, I'm going to bless you. But I promise if you don't, I'm going to. That was the old promises. Why did we need better ones? Why do we need better ones? That sounds like a, that sounds like a fair deal. All right, watch this. Verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault, now here's the key to understanding what he just said. Because if you don't read this right, if you don't read this right, you will say that there was something wrong with the covenant. There was something wrong with the law. There was something wrong with the promises. 
Let me tell you something. The Bible says the covenant was perfect. The law was right and true and perfect. You say, well, preacher, if, if there was nothing wrong with the law, where was the problem? With the people. The them here is not the promises. The them here is talking about the people who didn't keep their side of the bargain. Are y'all with me? All right. Why was there a need for better promises? He says, finding fault with them. Finding fault with them. He saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my and I regarded them not, I favored them not, saith the Lord. Preacher, what are you saying? He held up his end of the bargain. They didn't follow through, they didn't obey. And guess what? They were scattered all over this world. They got all the curse, 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 curse. Y'all with me? So why did we need a new covenant? Why did we need a new set of promises? Because it was weak in that the people couldn't obey it. Now, everybody look at me for a minute. Everybody look at me. I got to do this quick. Brother Mark, the law, this old covenant, this old contract agreement was not given so that they could get saved. Because in order to be saved, you had to, you had to follow it perfectly. Because according to the book of James, if you break one, you've broken them that doesn't mean that if you lie, that means you commit adultery too. It means that you're a lawbreaker. That's what that means. Keep that in mind. And if you break one law, you're guilty and you cannot get in. God didn't give them the law. God didn't give them the commandments to save them. He didn't give them the commandments or the law. It could never offer permanent forgiveness. Why? Because they couldn't keep it. That's why I'm trying to get you to understand Jesus wasn't the backup plan. It, God, didn't, God didn't give this old covenant and these old promise and they, they failed. He said, well, that didn't work. Let's try this over here. No, God doesn't need a backup plan. Jesus was always the plan. So why in the world did he give them the old covenant and those laws and all that to show them how wicked and helpless they really are and to teach, the Bible says that the law is a schoolmaster to teach them that they need Jesus. He's not a backup plan. He is the plan. The whole point of the, uh, the law and the old covenant, it was to point people to the coming son of God, that you're a sinner and every sinner needs a savior. Say amen. A man won't go to the hospital unless he knows he's sick. You say, how do I know, how do I know sin? Because of the law. The law helps me see where I failed, and it points me to a need that I have, which is a Savior. Amen. Church, say amen. amen. 
Now watch this. Watch this. We see the need for better promises. Why do we need better promises? Because the weakness of men. The weakness of men. There was fault found in people because people couldn't keep their end of the bargain. Then let me finish with this. We see the nature of the better promises. We see the nature of the better promises. <laughs> All right, the old covenant, the old covenant is based on the law and man's faithfulness. Did y'all see that? The old covenant, the old promise is based on the law. God gave him the responsibilities, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt, thou shalt. All these commandments, all these rules. And then he said, I tell you what, if you'll do them, if you'll do them, then I will bless, 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 bless. But if you don't, Y'all catching on. <laughs> Y'all with me? Amen. And so, so under the old covenant, in order for it to work for me, I had to be completely, perfectly faithful. Wow. It was totally dependent on my own ability to be faithful to the law. That's a problem. But this new covenant, the old covenant is if you, if then, say it. But the new covenant, let's, let's read some of it. Let's read some of it. Verse 10, this, this new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts and be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. They shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest for be merciful to their unrighteousness and when their sin, don't forget this one, and their sins and their iniquities Will I remember no more? Preacher, what are you saying? The old covenant is if then, if then, if then, if then. The new covenant is God saying, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. The old covenant is based on man's faithfulness and ability. The new covenant is based solely on the grace of God and the faithfulness of God. In his ability, not mine ability. Let, let me tell you something. People, people that are going around trying to tell people that you get saved by grace, but you got to stay good or you lose it. This is their mentality, that you're saved by grace, but you're kept by the law. That's right. No way. You're not saved by grace and sanctified by the law. You're saved and sanctified solely by grace. Why is, it, why is these promises better? Well, the old covenant is based on the law of man's faithfulness. The new covenant is based on grace and God's faithfulness. Let me illustrate that. 
who we're over again. Look, look, Noah. Was Noah, was Noah on the outside holding on the best he could? Was he dependent on his strength to hold himself to that ark? No, the Bible says he walked in and God, God shut him in. So what was Noah dependent on? The faithfulness of God. Listen, let's, let's hurry. Listen, the old covenant, it was mediated by Moses, who was a weak. Listen, he, was, he had infirmity. He was human, just like every, all the rest of us. But the new covenant is mediated by the old covenant involved regular sacrifices of animals. But the new covenant involved one-time one sacrifice of Jesus. Done. The old covenant atoned for sins what? Temporarily. The new covenant atoned for sins eternally. Forever. And not only that. Not only that. But you see, the old covenant, the old covenant tried to motivate and control people from the outside by laws written on tables of stone. In other words, under the old covenant, it, there was rules and regulations and all of these things that could never fix people, that could never change people, that definitely never could control people. So what'd God do? He said, I'm just going to put them on the inside. So why do you do what you do? Because there's only something on the inside that's making me. There's something on the inside that's motivating me. There's something on the inside. How do you know that's wrong? Well, there's just something on the inside that's telling me I don't need to do that. Preacher, what are you saying? The new covenant is about an internal motivation. I'm motivated by grace and love, not law and fear. I'm not worried about the curses. He took every curse from me on Calvary. I have been forgiven. Yes. Forgiven. Yes. And he's on the right hand of God writing the acquittals for us all. Amen. And all God's people say it. Amen.